Hey, good morning, everybody. Ryan Austin here with The Power of Helping People. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's pretty exciting uh, when I get to have a guest every single week and, and, and just really just get to dissect and really just to introduce somebody that's really powerful into this organization. And, and you you have to focus on exactly what these people are saying, because each time they tell their story, each time they do something, it's almost like it impacts just one person. And that's my mission here at The Power of Helping People is just to impact and change one person's life per day. So the, the first first I, I want to I want to get excited about introducing Heather Carter. Um, Heather Carter, um, you know, I, I'll tell you exactly how we met after we get started in the intro. But Heather Carter is actually from the West Coast. She actually resides in Springfield, Illinois right now. And you know what's really cool about this is she's actually married her high school sweetheart. You know, they've been together uh, over 30 years now, and it's pretty exciting. Uh, she also has three kids. Uh, she has Berkeley, 25, Bennett, 21, and Emma is 20. And so I want to bring up Heather a little bit uh, right now and, and just introduce you to her and she, you know it's it's one of those things that i'm really excited to have her because she's an author of two amazing books one was the soul selfie and then the next one is soul selfie hashtag no filter so let's bring heather up here real quick how's it going heather how you doing hi i'm doing great uh, you know what no I, I, i'm here today so i'm especially glad to just be in uh inside and doing something uh that does not require me to leave my house well, I think I think uh, this morning it was like six or seven degrees here in Michigan. Um, I think we got about six to eight inches of snow on s Monday. We did, uh, mm -hmm. so it's been pretty crazy here. I mean, it's uh, been one of those things that it's so cold that you know salt doesn't really work. So all the roads are pretty still, pretty iced over, and then when it melts a little bit, it gets this nice thick you know layer. I'm sure you know you know you're from Illinois, so yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about because we get everything you guys get so it's pretty much the same yeah. thing so how, how's your day going so far today it's going great um i just got back from a closing i'm a realtor also so i just closed on a property today and headed straight back here to set up time with you it's you know what it's uh we, we all have a busy life and it's just a, it's a mm -hmm. it's really nice to be able to stop a little bit and just reflect on what's going on so i'm really excited to you know have you here but first and foremost I want to I want to tell people a little bit of how we met because you know actually I want you to tell us you 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 to tell us the story of how we met and then kind of how it coincides so you start first and then I'll 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 dive in a few minutes later and tell you kind of how this resonates and how things are really meant to be I truly believe things are meant to be in in the the circles that you provide in the in the 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 community it's it's all about community really so tell us a little bit about how we met Well um, I think the initial, well, I should say the last contact that person who put us together was Bruce Pulver, and mm -hmm. he is someone who I do a podcast with and have connected with him uh, through Bill Schomburg. So if by the time Bill Schomburg is the root of everything, he's going to probably have to start his own show or something because <laughs> every all these contacts that I have is a friend of mine, Bill Schomburg, who is... Uh, just an encourager and a connector. And he connected me with Bruce when my book first came out. Um, Bill connected Bruce and I, and then Bruce is also, you know, an encourager and a connector. And he connected me with Ryan and a few other people too. But it's just been awesome to hear, you know, sometimes you, in your, um, I don't know, in the circles that I'm in, I have a lot of awesome friends and stuff, but I don't have anyone who's trying to do, you know, podcasts and has written books and um, you feel kind of isolated sometimes. And so it's been really cool to connect with you and see that there's people sh spreading hope through these avenues all over the country and the world. You know what, uh, since COVID's hit, we, we've, we've pretty much transitioned new ways of, of reaching out to people, new ways of meeting people, new communities. You know, when I, I'm a very social person, so when you go out and you, 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 you can't see anybody, you're like, what do I do now? You know, and you fall into this little thing like, well, I got to be innovative and I got to figure out what's going on. But, you know, how, how I met Bruce, which is pretty cool, is, is, is I... <laughs> I met him through Brian Hess, which is online, and I wanted to go a little bit back because I want to show the you know the the audience of exactly how things work. So, 
you know, Bruce has been following Brian Hass and a couple other things. And I reached out to Bruce and I really just, it was a little over a year ago. It was about 16 months ago. And I, I just, I just fell in love with what he was trying to do, you know, and, 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 and putting words together and doing that. So I read his book and his book changed the way I think his book changed my life the way I think, because I was so short minded before COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, I wanted to open and expand my, you know, my whole mind, my mentality of what I wanted to do on community, because I was such a community based person. But here's the thing is, is I went to a conference from grow your business for God's sake. And then I saw Bill, Bill was talking and he was, he was thanking Glenn Lundy for Bruce Palver. And so what I did was I pulled up my camera real quick and I videotaped Bill <laughs> and then I sent it to Bruce. And meanwhile, I didn't meet Bill that conference. Mm-hmm. So like I didn't I didn't dive in and meet him. But Bruce said, you need to meet Ryan. And so then that whole circle, you know, fell in. And then now all of a sudden I meet Bill. And then, you know, on New Year's Eve, I take my family and we, we sit down mm-hmm. and we, we break bread together over New Year's Eve right before I came home. So it's just one of those things that it's really tight knit community and mm-hmm. we're building a very, very tight knit community. So I wanted to I wanted to explain that really quick because it's such a full circle because Bruce, you know, introduced me to you. And so mm-hmm. now it's like it's one of those things that we really just have to think and take two minutes and thank Bill. Because yeah. Bill is the you know the the originator the of the community and he's really just pouring into people and he really knows who needs to meet who. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go over that a little bit and I wanted our audience to hear that because it's just such an amazing amazing story because I truly believe it's fate. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about your 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 faith. You know I know you I know you really discuss this, but you know I want to go back first and foremost. I want to talk about your faith. And then I want to tell you to go back a little bit even farther and, and tell us your story because you've got a pretty trialing story. And that's why I brought you on here is because you you battled some diseases and I, and I really want them to, to be brought on the story. So first, let's talk about, you know, you growing up in the faith. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Uh, you know, I, this sounds weird probably to some people, but I don't really recall a time that I didn't really have a some sort of concept or understanding of God in my life. Um, I don't know if that was a a gift that I just, that God gave me um, as a small child, but I don't remember. There was never a major turning point where I was like, oh my gosh, um, God, that's that's a new concept for me. Let's talk about turning our lives over to God. Um, But, and I was kind of a weirdo really in high school uh, because I was reading self-help books and Christian, you know, I remember like dare to be different, you know, all these things. And, and in high school, I really felt like my faith, the best way I knew at that time to exercise my faith was to behave. And so I, you know, I was a good girl and I didn't drink and I didn't have sex. So I got married and all these things because I thought I just wanted to God to be proud of me, I guess. And I, I know that I had some expectations of some high school friends that, I'm sure was a turnoff to them because that wasn't, you know, I I just thought everyone should behave better. And then like loving God was kind of, you know, integrated into that behavior. And um, as an adult, I obviously our faith faith matures, um, but I have had some significant trauma and drama over the past 10 years or so that really um, solidified what my faith actually means and what it looks like to share it with other people. Well, you, you, you said, you, you said a point back there is, is people looked at you weird. And do you think that, do you think that they looked at you weird because you were, you were one of the few of your friends that were actually seeking growth and seeking that, that guidance, seeking that extra, you know, that extraness. So you felt a little bit better inside. Is that something that you, you really just dove into and you didn't worry about people? Or were you really just worried about what people were saying? Because a lot of young kids, they worry what their peers and their and their friends think about them. So, were you worried about any of that stuff when you were younger? You know, I'm sure I know I was when I was much younger. But in high school, I didn't really worry too much about it. I was probably on the other end of the spectrum, um, a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say it's not arrogant because I really did love people, and I really wanted to just really wanted people to love God too. But mm-hmm. I also 
didn't really know that how practical and Jesus really wants us to make it. And I, I think I um, thought it was a lot about our behavior. And I know that that is part of it, our obedience and things, but um, I really wished I would have focused more on God's grace and love and that wherever you're at is okay today. And um, I didn't do that great, but um, I've learned a lot over the years. And um, as a high schooler, I think you're kind of all over the place anyway. Um, so I try not to be too hard on myself, but um, yeah, I'm really grateful for the gifts that he's brought into my life that have allowed me to see it differently. So, so I want to ask you this question and tell, tell us a little bit who the real Car uh, Heather Carter is and who, who, you know, who, who are you, who you became out of high school? Because here's the thing is, is, is people usually want to know who the real Heather Carter is, because a lot of people in high, you know, middle school, and then you go to high school, you're changing so much. And, mm -hmm. and to be honest with you, you know, a lot of people judge you for who you were back in middle school, back in high school. So yeah. tell us a little bit about who the real Heather mm -hmm. Carter is, because, you know, we change, we evolve, we do these things, but people always seem to look at us like who we used to be. So tell yeah. us a little bit about who the real Heather Carter is right now. Ooh, okay. Well, um, I probably actually can I well, we'll we'll back up a little bit, but I you know, there's some significant things that happened that made me into the Heather Carter who I am right now. Well, well let's 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 go right into that. Let's, okay. let, let's step back. Because there was a very right big uh, fuzzy area in between there where there was a lot going on, I think, to bring me to where I, I am today. And obviously that always can be it's being tweaked and adjusted, but um one thing that's kind of funny, actually, is like you talked about people knowing you in high school and assuming you're that way. So when I went back to my 10-year high school reunion, maybe, um, first of all, I never drank with any of my friends. So I was like having a glass of wine, which I think people thought was like I'd fallen off the edge or something. <laughs> like, well, I am 30 or whatever. Um, so that was just kind of funny. But the other funny thing was that my husband and I, we didn't really date publicly in high school. We kind of were best friends. And then towards the end of high school, maybe we started seeing, kind of being more romantically involved. And then I followed him to college in the Midwest. So obviously it was fairly serious, but people didn't realize that we were a couple ever. So when we went to our reunion and they were like, well, you wait, you live in Springfield, Illinois, and you do too? How weird is that? You know, we're like, yeah, well, we're married. They're like, you guys are married? You know, so it was just kind of comical because just like, yeah, in high school, we didn't know that you guys were even together. And now you're these two random people seem seemingly married. So that was kind you know of what funny. You know what? That's uh, that's pretty cool because, you know, I'm, I, I think, you know, I married my high school sweetheart. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's just it's something that gave me so much joy, you know, and, and, and to be honest with you, as you grow your your partner grows with you and that's the thing is too so i i really just you know i'm 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 all, i'm in awe because you, you you meet somebody else that you know married their high school sweethearts you know we battle you know we have our we have our trials we have our our, our fights we have our you know spats and stuff like that but we grow and we build and i'm sure you had have had those stories but i want to go back a little bit to a, a you know a pivotal moment in your life in 2015 when you developed some you know you know you can tell this but what you developed and how you conquered it and how you battled it. So why don't you tell a little bit about how you developed and how you found out that you had leukemia and all this other stuff. Tell us how you coped with it. Tell us how you battled it and tell us how you got out of it. Okay. Well, yeah, I, in 2015, I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. And up until that point, I never had had any health issues. You know, leukemia is not a, really a genetic um transferred disease. So that didn't make, you know, that was never on our radar. And I just been having some symptoms for a while. And really the way it was found was so miraculous. Um, I definitely know God needed me to do a few more things because there, it was such a small window with acute myeloid leukemia. It's very, part of the acuteness is, is that you have this much time to diagnose it or else it's too late and you can't diagnose it too early because what happened with me is they had, I'd had some symptoms and they had diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis. 
which was not what it was, but they had enough evidence with the blood work and the swelling and things that that was like their best guess. So I was on medicine for that. And everyone around me was kind of like, I don't know, Heather, I don't think that sounds right. And I'd gone on a trip to California to visit my sister and my mom. And my sister is a massage therapist and um, reflexologist. And she was giving massage and she just kept saying, I, I don't know, Heather, I just don't think that that, that doesn't feel right. Like, well, I don't, no one else knows what else it could be. So I guess this is what we're going with for now. And while I was there, uh, my disease really started to present itself. So what that means is your red blood cells are tanked. So I went on a hike and probably could have had a heart attack as I, of course, I can't, I'm competitive, even though I feel like I'm going to die. My sister and my mom were not going to beat me or leave me behind. So hiked up a big mountain um, with no red blood cells in my body, pretty much. And um I had my platelets were tanked. So when I got home from that trip, I had my arms were bruised from just resting my arm on the armrest on the airplane, something simple like that. And then I had a hematoma on my leg that was about this big from bonking my, my knee or my leg on a chair, simple little bump. And I was like, this isn't right. So we kind of forced the doctor's hand and let us come in and, um, Actually, we, we got in on a whim because of my heart rate going like crazy. The doctor wasn't going to let us in, and they decided that I might have a heart attack, so they'd go ahead and get me in on Friday. So I got blood work done at 11. By 4 o'clock, they called me and told me over the phone that I that my numbers were indicative of leukemia and that they had a bed for me at the hospital, and I needed to come there immediately. So within an hour, I was in the hospital, and... Uh, I called, it's funny because I talk a lot in my books about, and on my blog about control and trying to fix, managing control, everything. And I think it's comical to me that in my shock, my first phone call was not to my husband. It was to another doctor friend of ours trying to figure out if he knew a good oncologist. I'm like, well, I think I have leukemia. Do you know anybody, you know, who is good and who you'd recommend? And he was like, uh, no, I don't. And I said, well, maybe I should call my husband. He's like, yeah, I think that'd be a better place for you to start. <laughs> you know, I'm already like, we're going to fix this and figure it out. So um, I got in the car and my husband had called the doctor back and I said, how long do you think I'm going to be in there? And he said, 30 days. It's like, pardon? And he said, yeah, that's the standard treatment for leukemia is 30 days in. And then after that, another 40 or so days in the hospital doing treatment off and on for the next seven or eight months. So, so you, you, you um, technically, yeah. So you technically were in the hospital for 70 days. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, meanwhile, your, your kids are at home, your husband's at home. How did mm -hmm. they, how did they cope with that with you being in the hospital? Were they, were they, uh, you know, one of those things where they went every single day to see you or they, were they going on with their life? How are they, how are they doing? Because I know when, when people go, you know, into the hospital and they're there for that long, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty traumatizing yeah. to the whole family. And you got to almost keep going as a, as a family, just to, you know, not only to support you, but you still got to get on with your life and you got to make sure that you visit and do this stuff. So how did your husband cope with that of you going in the hospital for 70 days and your kids? Yeah. Well, everyone did it a little bit different based on just like, you know, you parent your kids different because they're all wired differently by God. So mm -hmm. the way we approached it with them was a little different for um, each of them. My my oldest son was in his first freshman year of college out in California. So in my first 30 days, I actually got a secondary infection and um, ended up intubated in ICU for a week. And they did fly him home because they didn't think I was going to there was potential that I wasn't going to live through that. Um, and I don't think my other two, they were in junior high or early middle school. They did not come to the hospital during that time. They were kind of waiting till yes, for sure. She's going to die before they would bring them in. Cause I looked really terrible, um, scary. So, um, but my, my daughter was interesting. She was, she would come, she's kind of like a, you know, just pretend everything's going to work out great and not, talk about the bad stuff too much. So she would come in the hospital with me and we'd do our nails and watch a movie. Um, one of the things that my family did when I first went in was close to Valentine's Day. So my husband had ordered um, a really nice Valentine's dinner from a local restaurant to be brought in and um, which 
pretty much tasted like metal because I'd already had a week's worth of chemo, but I think it was a really good steak. <laughs> and uh, my mom and my daughter went out and bought white Christmas lights and little kind of twirly gigs that you'd use for parties and decorated my room. And that became kind of the, so I had to go back in six more times for six days at a time. So every time we went in, I had my big box of decorations. And as soon as we got in that room, we would put the white Christmas lights up and put in these little twirly things everywhere. And nurses would just pop in and say, hi. I'm like, hi. She's like, I'm not your nurse today, but your room's just so peaceful. And I'm just trying to get away from all the chaos that's out there. So I'm like, come on in. Let's let's do a reading together or something. Um, so, and then my son was very, my middle son, he's introvert person and not super expressive, but he did the sweetest thing. Like he didn't come a lot. It, it bothered him a lot, I think, to be at the hospital, but he at one point organized, we live about half an hour from Lincoln, Illinois, and he'd gone to Lincoln Christian College's basketball camp. And he arranged for the entire basketball team and the coaches to come and visit me in the wow. hospital after I finally gotten out of ICU and stuff. And uh, it was just very sweet. And I know it, you know, he was only like 13 years old. So wow. that took a lot of initiative to do and and then like that was his thing and then then I didn't really see him unless I was back home so and so my I husband what, did, did you not ever, did you ever him. ask him did you ever ask your youngest what went over him to do that because if you said he was an interpreter what 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 brought him to do that I mean would yeah that something that was godly that he said you know what I better go do this with my mom because you know it'll 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 brighten her up. It'll, 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 you know, really just change the way she's thinking, or is it just something that he just, you know, just did? Yeah. He, yeah, I think it was, I mean, he loves, loves, loves sports. So that's one thing. And that was kind of, those are how he connects was through sports and coaches. And I think that was the best way he could express how much he loved me. Um, even like for, he does these kinds of big gestures uh, at Christmas time. He got me, he bought me somehow, I don't know how he did this, like a plot of land in Scotland. And I, and then had a framed picture uh, thing sent to me that it says like, I'm the lady or the, yeah, I'm a lady. I'm an official lady. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank goodness. That's um, awesome. <laughs> my own plot of land in Scotland, you know, and for my, my husband's um, birthday, once he got him like a subscription to a, uh, like do made a donation to a man save the manatees because my husband's always like I'm as fat as a manatee. <laughs> <laughs> about That's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, so he cool. just has like this little subtle, very subtle, creative, um, but big gestures in a subtle way, stuff like that. So, 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 so he puts these thoughts into things, which is very, very mm -hmm. cool. He he actually dissects and really just makes it makes it something that's really passionate to him. And so you remember those things. That's what's yeah. good. I mean, instead of just buying you, you know, a gift card somewhere and you forget about it, that's mm -hmm. something you're going to remember for the rest of your life. So mm -hmm. let's, let's dive into your, your, your high school sweetheart. Let's dive into your husband. How did he cope with those things? And how did he handle you going in the hospital? Because, you know, that's something that's probably was pretty rough on his life at the time. Yeah. So let's go into that. Yeah, it was, definitely rough. Um, and I think he handled it the best he could at the time. He was so good about um, talking to the doctors. At, at one point, you know, we, we, when, especially when I was in ICU and we have several friends who are nurses who have kind of what I call helpful disease, you know, they just can't stop helping you even when you're just like, stop helping. <laughs> and so between those people and my parents were always there and his parents came in and there was a lot of voices telling the doctors and pressing on the doctors to fix me and wake me, get me woken up. And finally, I think there was like a little intervention with the hospital staff. Like um, nobody talked to the doctors anymore, except Blake. You can talk to Blake and Blake can talk to the doctors. My husband's super smart and he's not a doctor, but even in um, when I was in ICU, he's the one who did the research and went to the doctors and said, you know, there's this shot that you can give people that helps their immune system boost. Can you give her that? And they said, well, we could, but if she has leukemia at all, she'll die. Um, and we think it's gone from the chemo, but we're not sure. And he's like, 
how sure are you? They said 99, 97% sure. And he's like, give her the shot. If you don't give it to her, she's going to die anyway. So they did. And like two days later, I woke up, but he's the one. So I always tell him, like, I don't want to hear any complaining from you because you had a chance to yank it like you're starting a mower. You know, you could have <laughs> let me go, but you did it. So um, oh, that's, he, that's such a he, great story. <laughs> he did a great job of keeping track of all that and the finances, which were crazy. You know, I remember him coming in saying, so you just got your bill for your first week for just your week in ICU. I'm like, he said, how much, guess how much it is. I'm like, I don't know. Like, $10,000. He's like, $300,000. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what? Yeah. What? We're, you know, and to praise God, like to this day, we don't have any debt or any lingering anything from that. But my husband, um, he does struggle for some mental health issues. And um, so during that time, you know, it was definitely a very hard time and sometimes did not handle it really well. You know, fortunately, we had a lot of other family support to come alongside me and then alongside the kids. And, um, you know, really, I just I, I do think that illnesses like that are harder on the caregivers and caregiver sounds probably that's probably a, not a great word. I mean, the, the people that love you so passionately and they can't do anything, especially a husband who wants to make everything good for his family and they can't, you know, that about make you go insane. And well, for me, everyone's doting on me. Everyone's, you know, nice to me because I'm bald and um, feel sorry for me. And so sometimes I think that person, you know, they're just trying to hold it all together. And he's, um, you know, he did a wonderful job, but it was definitely not, it was not easy. And um, how did that, how did that test his faith? You know, I think initially, um, part of the thing for us was we were, you know, for me, I went, you know, I think God gives you, if you're the one who's sick, God gives you some extra super faith powers if you lean into that. And he definitely did. I, I don't remember being angry with God. I mean, I think we questioned not why this was happening, but how this happened. Um, one of the things I think I shared with you once that when we, when I first got in the hospital, you know, of course, we're in shock. And um, these sweet nurses would come in. I still talk to them today and just told me, put their hand on my back and cried with me, cried with us and said, it's okay, sweetie. It's just a little blip on the screen. It's going to be over before you know it. It's just a little detour. It's not a big, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, and we were thinking it is not, this is not okay. And, uh, but what was funny is that the, my husband was, you know, distraught. And he's like, I don't understand how this could happen. I mean, she's healthy. She eats right. She ran two couple half marathons last year and went on to say some other things. But what he said was that what got written down and documented was she runs marathons. <laughs> no, I ran two half marathons and I've never run before that. And I've never run since. So it's so funny. The doctors would come in and be like, you just don't you worry. We're going to get you running marathons again. And no <laughs> like, no, no, thank you, friend. I do not want to do that. I'm done running. Um, I choose not to run. Um, so that was, you know, you just have to look for some funny things in it. But um, we had had a lot of other stuff happening before this happened, which was made it kind of extra hard, I think, is that we had uh, been at a church for 20 plus years uh, as the senior pastor, my husband was most of the time. And, you know, those were all, we stayed in Springfield instead of going back to California to work at this church. And um, a couple of years before this happened, he had resigned and it was a rough couple years. It was rough. It was hard. There was a lot of friendships broken and betrayals and all different avenues. And we were still kind of in hiding. And so when this hit, we were like, well, seriously, you know, we're, we're just about to die here emotionally. And now this, you know, is coming. It was a lot to handle. You know, if you ask me again, if I needed to, if I would go through that period of time again or leukemia, I would have said leukemia just like that. So you, so you left the church in 2013, roughly, and mm -hmm. then you developed 
leukemia in 2015. Mm-hmm. How, did that, how did that reflect the church to come in? Because I'm sure the church heard about it. How did that? How did that affect? I know you you said it a little bit in your book, but mm-hmm. let's 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 go back a little bit. In 2013, you left the church. Then you had leukemia in 2015. How did the church, you know, really just respond to that? Did the church, yeah. you know, did the church come, you know, in full faith and say, you know, we're going to be there for you, or was the church more reserved and then kind of just you got a couple trickles? But what? Tell me a little bit about that. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because it is a really awesome God filled answer. Um, well, when we left, we had gone immediately to another church in town, uh, because it had a Christian school and that's where my kids went to school. So they were young enough. We kind of said, Hey, you want to go to a church with your friends? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So then we did. And then yeah. next week, I mean, that's, I'm very give credit to my husband because actually I'm not sure if I went the next week we left, but my husband did. He started tithing immediately. He went to church immediately. He did not blame the church for a few people at, at the other church behaving badly or himself behaving badly. He didn't think I'm, you know, who I'm nothing, you know, why would God want me? He didn't, he probably had some of those kind of thoughts, but he immediately, he knew that the power of the church would help us heal. And so we immediately started going there. But what's really cool is, you know, I've talked before about community and connecting people and that we have to cultivate the, the community before the catastrophe. And one of the ways that God prepared for this um, event, the leukemia that came into our lives was, I had just got my real estate license like two months before I got leukemia. And I sold, I got a house under contract and I didn't even go to the closing because I was in the hospital. And then, uh, um, a beautiful thing, actually, like two, a month ago, I closed on a new house for that same client. It was kind of like a full circle. I sold that house that I originally wrote an offer on and got to go to this closing. So it was kind of special for me. But um, part of my real estate thing was at first when I got leukemia, I thought, God, why did you let me just get my license? And now I can't even work for seven months. That seems mean. That's what I felt at first. Like I got the rug ripped out from under me and it's just another way, you know, you think, you know what you need, but God knows what you, you know, you know what you want, but he knows what you need. And what I needed was this community. And so part of my real estate thing, when I first got my license, they encourage you to write a hundred letters, handwritten letters to people that you know, telling them what you're doing and just connecting with them. So I did that and I wrote to so many people from our other church that I missed and hadn't connected with for a couple of years and got on Facebook for the first time. You know, people talk about the evils of Facebook, but I got on it for the first time. So because between that and all those letters that when I got leukemia two months later, everyone was there to hear it. Um, at one point, there were 20,000 people logging into our my blog site just to see how my cancer journey was going and how it was improving and praying for me. And I know it was from our new church. You know, the pastor was awesome and his wife helped organize people to clean our house and bring food. And then between people at Hope Church and actually that is um, from that church, Bill Schomburg had already, no, he had not moved away yet. And so he, I have a picture of him standing in the lobby of the hospital praying with my husband and praying for him and praying for me. So you gotta, uh, you gotta send me that picture because man, I, will. Just, I mean, it's probably worth a million words, you know? And uh, oh. I, I actually, I, I want to read this to you because I, I posted three days ago and, and I didn't realize we were going to ta- be talking about this, but I, I, I took a, a, you know, a little trip this weekend and I don't know if you saw it on social media, but it was an inner circle mm-hmm. retreat, you know, and it's a, it's a community based on construction workers and, the stigma of construction workers is is, is different um, from a lot of people, and they, they have the stigmatism of basically like, this is bad, you know, construction workers, guys, they, they're not good people, blah, blah, blah. Well, we get in a room with 70 guys, and it was just so filled with like joy and love and grace mm-hmm. and motivation and, and just, it, it was such an amazing thing. I mean, even the perspective, and, and I put this on Facebook, and it says, 
I said, when you find a group that, that like this, you cultivate, you water, you pray over it, you cultivate more and watch how you grow in the process. Mm-hmm. And I put, and I said that because you, you, you said a really good point is, is community. Mm-hmm. Community is almost one of the most important things. And we always say family is, 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 is important, but you got to understand is, is you got God first and foremost, then you got your family and then you got your community and the community is what helps you through things that you never thought you'd be going through. And so what you just said was, is you had a, you literally had a, something happen in your life. There was, there was stuff that happened, but the community came together for you mm-hmm. and they literally lifted you up. And I, and that's what I noticed when I was reading your book is, is just little different things is in your book. It just mm-hmm. stood out to me. And that was one thing that stood out to me because it was such an impactful thing in your life that if it did go down the left road where you didn't have the community, you might have gave up. Or you might have said, you know what, I'm not going to fight this. I'm tired. But you had a community that raised you up. And then when that community raised you up, you fought and you fought and you fought and you fought and you fought for every single person that came in and supported you and every single person that poured into you and every single person that prayed over you. You fought because you knew once you got out of that, you would have this community. So that's what we're we're all looking for in this world is, is just to have that great community, you know. Yeah. And so I want to I want to I want your perspective on that. Tell me a little bit about your perspective on community, because community is so important. But I want to know your perspective on that. I, yeah, I agree with you. I do think it is um, it is a crucial thing that we need to. It's like you said, the cultivate word is important because um, you can't just expect, you know, people are pretty kind. They will show up for you if you don't even know them and you're at it. You know, I guess if you're at a church, I don't know, you know, a lot of times that doesn't happen other places that uh, but, you know, I one of the things I learned when I got sick and some things actually, it wasn't just when I got leukemia, it'd been happening in me the couple years after we left our church, because I had to work through some work through some really ugly things that I was thinking about people and church and God. And I did not, I didn't want those things on my mind, but they were there. And I had to, you know, resentment was a huge one and I'd lost my community. You know, I, these thousand people, we went one Sunday, Saturday night, and then the next, and then the next day we didn't go back and it wasn't a slow, let's have a party and let's, um, you know, send them off. It was just abrupt. And I found myself without any community at all and grieving. Uh, and a lot of my close friends were part of what I thought were my close friends were part of some of the, the problems. And so it was really rough. And, uh, that community, I remember one time talking to my sister-in-law and she was, I was just, I don't know, ranting about something and probably I was angry. And then she finally said, you know what I'm really hearing in your, what you're saying is that you're lonely. Of course, then I burst out crying because yeah, that was it. I was lonely for real community. And the beautiful thing though, is that sometimes God has to remove certain people from your life or certain crutches or maybe even relationships that weren't the best for you and maybe the best for them in order to bring you to something fuller. I mean, since, since I've left that church, I bet I've met 500 more people than I knew before I went through that period. And before I had leukemia between that and a job, I would have never had to get if I wouldn't have left that church, I wouldn't have done real estate and I have beautiful friends there and have met beautiful people as I show them houses, um, writing a book, and then doing these podcasts. You know, this met, I have to start writing down all these new people that I meet. I've met so many people, sometimes I forget, you know, because I've only had this one really awesome conversation, but there's been so many awesome um, connections. And I, Bruce and I actually um, did our podcast the other day, and, we, and one of the things we're talking about is connection. You know, community and connection are pretty close to the same thing. There's some differences, but just the idea that, you know, we need to connect. You know, I write in uh, my Soul Selfie blog, and both my books are like a 
collaboration or a conglomeration of all those blogs, but I write to connect me to you and you to each other and everyone to God. And that's really the whole premise of why I keep writing. Cause it's mostly my journal and me coming out of uh, hiding about what's going on in me, sharing in the ugly, messy stuff. Um, but when I started writing that blog, when I was as how it started is when I was in the hospital with leukemia, we set up a blog site just to update peace, people on the status of my cancer. It was called kick leukemia in the butt 2015. And we would just, you know, put what was going on. And then of course, you know, you can only talk about disease and sickness like that for so long. And so I just started kind of reflecting on what was happening at the hospital or what was, what readings that I was um, feeling convicted by or wanted to share. And I would just post them and then people would respond that it was, they're like, I kind of feel guilty because you're the one with cancer, but I feel like so encouraged by what you're saying. And I just got enough feedback like that, that I just kept putting it out there and putting it out there. So now you know, that first book is the first 120 blogs that I wrote while I once probably, I think the first one, this is my first book, but the first one I was thought it was cool. And this is a, um, probably a good point to make is that the first one I posted was March 29th. I got out of ICU. I came home with a walker and a shower chair and I couldn't walk or sit up or talk. And that was March 1st. So my first blog that is in my book was written March 29th. What that means is you can be of service to people and encourage people, even if you're still a mess, even if you're still sick. And I write a lot about the common plagues of the heart, like diseases, like worry, fear, resentment, um, comparison, all that kind of good stuff. Well, you, control. You know, what, you, you know what I noticed is, is I noticed several words is you put broken, vulnerable, I'm not enough. Those are words that that people usually don't say. And I think, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you wrote those words? I mean, because we live it, we live in a society that's everybody's so perfect, right? Everybody puts it out perfect, but they don't put their vulnerable moments. They don't put their broken moments. They don't put their I'm not enough moments. So let's mm -hmm. discuss a little bit about that. Well, you know, the thing that I learned um, about myself once I wasn't at the church anymore in a pastor's wife kind of role and also when I had leukemia, I mean, when I got in the hospital, I think God finally slowed me down enough to get my attention even further to say, Heather, you are a full-time job. You need to stop worrying about what everyone else is doing and either judging it or trying to imitate it. Just you do you, and I will take care of the rest of these people. You just mind your own business. And um, so I started writing in what I was feeling at the time, and that was a big shift for me because I had taught many women and started women's groups and done different speaking things when I was a pastor's wife, but it was always in, um, I would share in with hindsight, I guess. So it was like, well, you know, six months ago I was struggling with this and then I did these three steps and then ta-da, I'm like all better now. Look at me. And I realized that no one was really listening very much to that because it just makes people feel like they're not there yet and they don't relate or you're better than me. And when I started writing my blog, I really tried to share in the messiness of what I was going through. And that's what prompted me to write. Once in a while, I get sidetracked and, and I think I can't write this week because I'm a hot mess. And then I realize, oh yeah, that's why people read what I write is because I'm a hot mess. So one of the um, things that, you know, I, I really keep having this, this phrase run around in my head and it's, you go first. Someone has to go first. And if you go first, then someone else will follow and lead by the, they will be vulnerable because you have put yourself out there. You know, when I feel, when I used to, I remember this is writing this blog so clearly when I, would drop off my kids at school. I had to drop them off at a Christian school. And there were a couple people there that had I felt very hurt by and betrayed by. 
and you know i'm driving out of that parking lot and they're walking in i'm like hmm i really just kind of want to accidentally yank that steering wheel and at least just bump them with my car it wouldn't hurt them no, nothing debilitating you know but i would write about that when i got home about how this wasn't how i felt a while ago this is today i wanted to run that person over with my car that's that's a problem um so i would kind of unpack that and pray my way through it and it always i always try to give some solution it's never that i have it all figured out by the end of a 900 word blog but god does usually reveal to me all right heather just calm down just you know here's settle down a little bit you know the answers and i do i just don't always feel like implementing them but that's the part that's shifted for me as i well we're I all we're, we're really all. feeling yeah, well, we're all human and we do think that think those things, you know, I mean, I think that's the that's the best thing about it is, is we do have those things. So you shared a lot in those in your book. And one of the stories that I probably, I, you know, that just jumped out at me and I wanted to share it is, is your shallow hallow story, you know, about the movie, how you oh. how you how you watch the movie and how it just resonated so much with you about, you know, can you tell us a little bit about that story? Because I know I know I'm sure a lot of people have heard that, you know, mm -hmm. watched that movie, but that movie, what you said in the book is exactly how I perceived it. And so, mm -hmm. like, I want you to share that story because it was just such an impactful piece in the book. And I wanted you to bring that out because this is this is a little taste of what people are going to get in your book, because mm -hmm. if they get these little stories. And I and I think it's cool because when I when I said I was going to put your book aside and read it when I because I, I read a lot of books. So it was like one of those things where I was like, tw it was going to be 20. And you're like, no, just start reading it because you have little stories here and little stories. Yeah. So I just picked it up and I read one or two stories a day and I just kind of transitioned it through as I was reading other books. And there's a lot of stories that that jumped out at me. But that is by far the best story that it jumped Ooh. out of me right away. So just tell me a little bit about that. All right. Well, yeah. So the movie was Shallow Hal, and it had Jack Black and Gwyneth Paltrow were the main people in it. And he is basically just a Jack Marac dude who's, you know, judging every woman by their looks. And I can't remember how it even happens to him. Something happens to him, but he has this shift in how he sees people. And so anybody who is has a beautiful soul, he sees them as gorgeous. And he falls in love with this woman who is, you know, several hundred pounds and is very self-conscious about that. But he, And she keeps making comments about why he would love her. And he's like, oh, my gosh, you're beautiful. Why would you even say that kind of thing? And then throughout the movie, the interesting thing is there's also several other women that he sees and they are, when he sees them, they're craggly, they have like three teeth and um, just worn out. And then when they pan out to show what we would see, they're this beautiful young woman with high heels and um, pretty taut little body. And it was just a reminder that we are looking at the wrong things oftentimes when we see people. And that is definitely a um, shift that happened in me when I, after I had cancer, because first of all, I was bald. So, you know, that kind of humbles you pretty quickly. And if you're a woman, no offense, boys. Um, and also there were just um, so many friends that I had that were successful and beautiful and healthy. And uh, when I look at my friends, then there was nothing, they weren't bad people at all, but I definitely surrounded myself with rich, beautiful people. And I didn't intentionally do that. That's just kind of apparently what, I don't know, I guess, I don't know if that was that important to me. I mean, I'm embarrassed if that was true, but it just coincidentally, most of my friends were like that. And now I just, I don't even care what anybody looks like. And I try very hard. Actually, I don't even have to try hard not to judge someone for how they're looking because I've learned over the years that it just doesn't matter. And there's, I've met such beautiful people um, and have wonderful friends of all walks of life, all shapes and sizes. It doesn't matter. I, I taught me to look at people's soul and heart First. You know, and, and that's why I brought that up is because your book is called So Selfie. And, you know, that's that is something that people in this world need to start learning. 
is mm-hmm. stop looking at the outside, look at the inside. Mm-hmm. Have a and purpose. Look for the places were the same instead of all our differences. When mm-hmm. I say, you know, the beginning of my first book, I think I say, raise your hand if you know anybody who struggles, if you or someone you know struggle, struggles with addiction and or the effects of it, you know, uh, raise your hand if ever, if anybody knows someone or has battled cancer, raise your hand if you struggle with common plagues of the heart, like worry, fear, control, resentment, you know, those are the places we all battle. And when I start thinking about, um, you know, you talk about people say, oh, well, you know, they treated me like I had cancer. I'm like, yeah, you want to be treated like you have cancer. People are so much nicer if they think you have cancer. When I would go out without my wig on, people stopped short, you know, at the um, grocery store line or something. They stopped short of like grabbing my hand and saying, you have a good day and like wiping a tear from their eye because of how I looked because they could tell I was sick. And I just think we're all sick with something. No, we're sick with um the disease of codependency or control or uh, anxiety or fear. And we're carrying that around all the time. And if we could just assume that most people are carrying something like that, some sort of pain maybe, and treat them like they're sick, treat them like they have cancer, it'd be a lot nicer place. Well, so, you, you know, you said a really pivotal thing in that is, is, is treat people like you want to be treated. You know, really just dive in and just really soul search that because here's the thing is you you put something and uh in and you said something in your uh in one of your podcasts, I think I was listening to it says you stated recently about missing your cancer self. Can you go into depth about that? Yeah. Um it's definitely what I sort of what I was talking about. That's probably the more selfish side of it, was that I um you know, I, I was treated nicer. And it's funny because people who came to my house and brought food or cleaned my house, and I was so grateful. And then I would see them now at church. I'm like, oh my gosh, hi. And they're like, hey, I'm like, wait a second. I thought we were like best friends now. <laughs> you know, some people are just kind of plopped into your life for such a time as this. And then they're moving on to the next sick person, I guess. But like, I really connected so much with anyone who did something nice for me um, during that time. But um, I do miss the way, the biggest thing I miss is the way that I trusted God for all of my life. And it was really because I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I could not fix cancer. There was nothing I could do. And so I gave it over and surrendered it to God and trusted him with it and just asked him what he wanted me to do while he was working on that. And today I think like I've got it all figured out. And then I try to be in control of things that I really am not in control of either, you know, house sales or book sales or uh, whatever it might be. I get my will in there and it screws things up. And I just miss how easy easy it was (laughs) to do it back then. Um, well, I think I think with, with everything that's going on, I think the shift is, is we just all, I mean, whoever's listening to this is, is we've got to start doing things outside the box, not how we used to do things. We have to be a little more, you know, intentional. You know, I, I use this word a lot is because we go through life and we just, you know, we just keep, we get in this mundane, you know, cycle where everything's the same. And it's like, if you could just be intentional, and that's why I do this podcast is because I just want to help one person. Now, if everybody can think like that, mm-hmm. you know, there's not over 9 million people in Michigan. If everybody thought about impacting one person, that's mm-hmm. 9 million people a day. You know, right. that's, that's just the start. I mean, that's the start. So like, like, what is like, I'm going to ask this question, then I have a gift for you that I want to share a video with you. But yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's the perspective and the purpose that you have on life. If you feel like life is, is, is beating you up and you you need to revert your, you know, your purpose and your perspective on life. And you need to start doing those little things to make mm-hmm. differences in your life. And you, you had something tragic happen to you that really just dissect things to make a purpose in your life. And I really, truly believe you came out a better person. But what it did was it really made you soul search mm-hmm. yourself. 
and really just dissect and figure out who you want to be inside because we all want to act like somebody else sometimes. We all want to be somebody else sometimes. But when we become ourselves and we become the person that we God intended us to be, that's when we shine. That's when we walk in a room and we light up the room. That's when we can impact people. That's when we can go out in the world and say, you today are amazing and I love you, like Marcus Ellis does. And those are little things that you do. You know, when, when I go out and I see people that don't think they're seen and heard, I say, I see and hear you. Those are little things that people can do to impact others. So I want to share this. I want to share this uh, little thing I have for you. And it's it's one of those things that I just I just I had to do it because, you know, our, our relationship growing a little bit. And I and I'm really I'm really liking the vibe and I love what you're doing in life. And I love your book and I love all this stuff. So let's share this with uh, with the guests real quick and uh, we'll go from there. But okay. give me one second. I'm going to share my screen here. Oh, yeah. millions of people (laughs) (laughs) you know i I wanted to do that because i believe truly and i wanted to wrap this up i truly believe that you had you have purpose in life and that song speaks volumes for what Mm -hmm. you're doing you know go ahead Um, no you go you go ahead tell me what's uh tell me what's on your on your mind because this is a very important moment yeah one of my um favorite blog post. I don't know if you've gotten to that one yet. It's called why I hate you in a nutshell, which I think everyone should read because it was a friend of mine who was basically, I was on my first outing. I say outing cause I could barely walk and I hadn't been anywhere out of my house for a while. And so I felt like, like a hundred year old person or going on a little outing. My friend came to pick me up. And as soon as I got in the car, she goes, all right, here's why I hate you in a nutshell. And then she proceeded to list like 10 reasons why she hates me. And a lot of it was basically like, I'm jealous that you get to go in the hospital for six days and get some rest. I'm jealous that um, people are bringing you 
meals and you don't have to cook, you know? And I just, by the end of it, I thought, how stressed out, maxed out, running crazy are we when having leukemia sounds like a vacation? And sometimes I admit, I've been like, you know, what can I do to get myself in the hospital for like six days again and just get a break where no one expects me to answer any calls and no one expects me to anything from me, just lets me leave me alone for a whole six days. Um, but this has been a beautiful journey to learn that, you know, there's a lot of people suffering that we don't even know about. And, you know, the way to not get stressed out, maxed out, exhausted is by serving other people. And it might be, um, you know, something as big as writing a book, but may and sharing it with people or a blog, but maybe it's just going to the dollar store. I'm, I'm a dollar store, dollar tree queen, two cards for a dollar, get a bunch of birthday cards or a bunch of sympathy cards and just take them around, drive them to someone's house. That's one of the things I did during COVID is I just had time. So I would just drive a birthday card to someone's house and you wouldn't believe the feedback from people because I drove there. It's not just that they got a card from me and it's not because it came in the mail. It's because I went to their house and dropped it in their mailbox. Little things like that mean a lot to people. So the, I think, you know, when I think back on my journey, I started writing. It's significant that that first blog was the month I got out of the hospital because I didn't wait. I didn't know if I was going to die. I wasn't cured after the first 30 days, but I was going to darn well do something in the meantime, even though I was still sick. And a lot of you listening think, you know, I'm too screwed up to help anybody. Maybe if I ever get my junk together, I'll help someone else. But right now I'm just a mess. Well, that's what people want. They want to know that they're not alone in their struggles and there's hope. So even if you have a little bit of hope, maybe you have a little more than, than the next guy and then we'll get him through that next day or get her through that, through that night. Um, I just, I think that we have to look outward, you know, look inward to, to let God fix and do what he needs to do in here, but then don't stop there because then you just become a monk, you know, hiding out, trying to protect yourself and behave. It's not about that. You know, we, God wants us to love other people and that's how we show him how much we love him. Um, I was going to show you this picture. This is my workout this morning. And I sent this picture to Bill Schomburg. Can we see it? Let's see. I'm in my, where's the, where's the camera? There, you can kind of uh, see it. Yeah, yeah. So I have on, it's hard to see it, a Wonder Woman do-rag. Yeah. That was a gift from him and Allison. You haven't met, his wife passed yeah. also. And um, so that, I sent that to him and said, all right, I got my workout attire on this morning. And uh so they, he's been a blessing in our life, in my life, and still is. What I'd like to, what I'd like to share, everybody, is, is is just just one thing I said the other day, and you know I don't, you know God put this word into me is just start today. You know if you can just make one little tweak and just start today, your life's going to be better. So just start, like you started thirty days after. You started this blog and now you've wrote in two books and you're impacting people and you're really just taking it to the next level and building a community that's mm -hmm. going to change people's life. And that's what life's about. Yep. Having God point you in the right direction to make an impact. Mm -hmm. And who and people are going to come and go, like you said, people are going to come and go out of your life. But the real people will stay in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's how God is going to bring and change this community and change this world is because it's only the matter of just starting today mm -hmm. and not that's saying, right. well, I don't make a difference. I don't make it just start today and make a difference because yeah. one person, like I said, just one person every single day will change the way we think and change the way we do things and it will change people's life. And so I want to thank you very much for coming on here. I want to thank you. You know, it's been a pleasure. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to meet you. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm very blessed to have you as my friend now. And I'm also truly blessed to watch you grow. 
And I won't, I promise I won't be one of those people in church that just see you once and do it. We're going to be connecting. You know, I'd like to have you back on the podcast and, and really just, just, just know that you got one more person on your support channel. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm so excited to see how God's going to continue to connect even more people through us and um, just spread hope and, and love and letting people know they're not alone and to l- get God in there, get God into all of it. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm going to go out with uh, a couple other things and, and, and I want to thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, and we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Thanks okay. Ryan. All right. Bye-bye. It's far from dying. The best is yet to come.